Greetings, ladies and mentalgents, and welcome to the latest chapter of Oz Magica, taken from the subreddit HFY. All the relevant links are down below, and please like, comment, and subscribe like any good minion of the algorithm would do. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. I just want to give a quick thanks to the Tier 5 channel members and patrons. Bob the Dragon, Data Magnet, Sergeant Puma, Cat Crab Lobster, and Duck Machine. Thank you very much for the support. It is much appreciated. Chapter 46 As Carl descended into the space of his newly founded cathedral, there were several things that caught his attention. The most obvious was that, unsurprisingly, almost everybody in the cathedral was in an unchanging safe room. Although that room still existed, since the cathedral was now locked to Carl, was a piece of illogic that both delighted and annoyed him. The thing that he noticed, however, was that the key word was almost everyone. There were a few folks who had been caught in the middle of a trance inside of a prayer room when the change and upgrade happened, and a few people rushing down the halls who just had not made it to the safe room in time. They were normal and altogether uninteresting to call. No, what had caught Cole's attention was the duo that had been trapped inside a bubble of reforming architecture. One of them was a priest of Grand's. That alone was strange, given that Cole thought Grand's was still attempting to instill the faith into her unused set of juniors. It was nice to see that some of the old guard might have survived. After all, who else was going to keep Swelk in check? What made the duo even more interesting, however, was the presence of the one that he'd actually come to see. The one who had started this whole mess, the repercussions of which were going to echo for years if not more, the being colloquially known as Dave. Now, Cole had not actually interacted with Dave before. Sure, Cole had been able to exert some influence on the early effects of Dave's class during his time in Seoul, but he'd never actually talked directly to the boy. Cole debated internally on how best to approach the moment until a rather fun thought occurred to him. So, with a swish of his paw and a bubble stopped contracting in on the two and Cole manifested himself, becoming corporeal. His paw, if one could be generous enough to call it that, made the Dwem priest faint in either ecstasy or dread. He wasn't really sure which aura was on right now. Thankfully, Dave wasn't really affected by it all too much. That's, um, look... I know the stuff around us is kind of scary, but there's no reason to faint at the sight of a chair popping into existence. You need to wake up. How are we even supposed to get out of here? Cole was jubilant at Dave's remark. It wasn't often when a person could force him to do a specific form, especially with just instincts. So, with some effort, as he hadn't really used telepathy in a while, Cole reached out to communicate with Dave. If you saw me like you were supposed to, you would have probably ended up on the floor, too. Dave was visibly confused as he searched around the room. Look, it's me. I'm the chair. Just look. Dave's attention was dragged back to Cole's form. And while part of Cole wished desperately to change forms to something Dave would recognize as a being, something in him thought that just being a chair was super great at that moment. You know what? Never mind. Look away from me. Then I can change peacefully. Confusion and fear spread across Dave's face as his body moved without its control. While he was spinning, Cole decided to pick something that might have a pleasing appearance to the bide. 
wouldn't really do to scare the one who had done all of this. You can turn around now. Sorry about piloting your body there. What you were seeing wasn't really conducive to having you take me seriously. Dave slowly tried to move his body, and happiness spread across his face as he was finally able to move under his control again. Turning around, he saw Cole, who had chosen the exact duplicate of Dave. Hi, I'm Galeran, god of fungus and entropy. How are you doing? Dave's face twitched slightly as his eyes regained the fear that he'd momentarily lost. Well, um, other than everyone coming down around me, I think everything's going good. How about you? Cole considered the question before answering. Never better. Never better. Especially since you did all of this for me. He waved a hand outwards in a sweeping gesture. How did I? Ah, well, you are a lord, yes. Killed the previous one and all that, with the advantages of the purest bloodline of your species. Tends to lead to many churches and chapels under your new territory to be given to an upgrade, as well as a change in leadership. He scoffed a little bit before the slime bed rose from the floor under him and lay down upon it. Why is your body so weird anyway, sir? No matter what I can do, I just can't seem to get comfortable. Calm rolled around, trying to find a specific place where the slush hugged his frame. What all seemed to do was grab at a rather unfortunate place. I'm confused. Cole nodded from his position on the bed before rolling off of it. Most are when dealing with me, although probably not in the way you are. Most just seem flabbergasted that Quilvo deemed them worthy of being in his presence. Dave's face twisted further. Wait, uh, I thought your name was Galeran. Cole's face made an O of surprise. Huh? You were able to remember the previous name. That hasn't happened much before. Then again, being disconnected from the Panopticon like you are probably means that you aren't as influenced as most would like. What? Don't worry. Just thank J209 for that helpful action. Who? you probably meet them soon. Anyways, that's basically my influence at work there. Anytime I try and say who or what I may be, it just gets all jumbled when I'm in front of people. Dave's face settled into an expression of comprehension as he came to a realization. You're the Chaos God. Cole nodded once. Correct. You are good at this. Didn't even have to do anything powerful like call forth my namesake. At this, he gestured to the sky, which Dave suddenly realized was there. In it, an almost incandescent and endless number of shapes seemed to be twisting in and out of each other. However, after a second, everything returned to normal or as normal as a shifting church can get. The afterimage was still stuck in Dave's head, though. Dear God, that hurts. Carl seemed to perk up. Why wouldn't it? It directly affects your head after all. Dave shook his head, attempting to dispel the lingering headache before bringing his attention back to the god. Did you do something to me? Dave asked. Carl seemed confused for a moment before he brought his mind back to reality. Ah, you're talking about your class, aren't you? Yeah. J209 made a lot of stuff happen, and it caught my attention. Not every day that your sister gets their influence pushed away like that. Thought I shouldn't silently mark you somehow before I lost you. So, when you got your class, you would be affected by it, and I could track you if I felt the need to. 
They seemed to get further and further depressed as Cole rambled on, before asking a question. Does, um, anyone else know? Why would they? It's not like I particularly care if people know or not, but no one can gain access to my signal, least of all other gods. Dave sighed and let his shoulders relax. Okay, I'm just worried. That sinner title makes it seem like I was going to be hunted if the gods found me. Coming here was a big risk to get rid of it after all. Carl tilted his head upside down before speaking out of his eyes. That's why you're here. Well, I can take care of that quite easily. It's just my sister's influence. Nothing a little spit and sand can't get rid of. With that, the god's hair writhed for a moment before something dark snaked forward and grasped something inside of Dave. Just as fast as it had happened, it pulled whatever it had grabbed out and retreated back from whence it came. There, that should take care of it. Got rid of my mark on your class as well. Figured since I've touched you personally now, rather than through ideas, I can just know where you are inherently. Dave was wrenching on the floor from the slimy contact before he calmed down and realized what Cole was talking about. Wait, can you get rid of the Lord too? Cole's face ran through several emotions in a single moment, but the one it settled on upon was disgust. What? No! Why would I even do that? Well... I don't think I can be a leader like these people can expect me to be. Hell, any group I was a part of before now was mostly just me filling a role that people decided had to be done. Okay, I'll do it. One condition, though. Alright, name it. If you ever meet another god, I want you to slap them. I'm sorry, what? Oh, don't worry, they'll understand. You'll be under contract after all. As long as I don't specify who you slap, they can't get mad. Besides, if I get rid of this for you, most of what I'm getting is going to degrade back to what it used to be anyhow. Cole tried to put his sound of honey into his words to better appeal to the man, but all it seemed to do was get them stuck together as they came out of his mouth. I mean, uh, that's fine, I guess. Cole manifested grins about him as he reached out with a hand. Perfect! With this, we've got a contract. Music crescended into the existence as trumpets fanfared. Something rose away from Dave as the ghostly image of a crown dissipated. There, that should have done it. Anything else you need before I'm forced out of here? Dave's face scrunched up in thought. Could you explain what my titles do? I'm not a reader. Get someone else again. I meant like what you specifically, Colst coughed. Why would he do something so demeaning? No, better to leave it to other mortals. How do I get home? Cole's head seemed to tilt. Home? Are you talking about where you first came into this world? No, I mean before that. Before that? Cole's face slowly began shifting away from Dave as his eyebrows danced above his eyes. Ha! Well, I don't think I can help with that department. Might want to ask Jujisha, my sister, or perhaps Kya. The former, because your soul has been entrusted to her, and the latter, because their influence is upon those types of deathly matters. Now, if you don't mind... He clicked his heels against each other, and most of the things he summoned were whisked away, never to be seen again. The church began to calm down considerably, and reformed itself to what it had been before the chaos had taken root within. No longer would Dave and the unconscious Dwem stuck in a bubble. But now, 
They were simply within the middle of a hallway. I won't be able to be here for much longer. Now that my trudge point is gone, there's a lot of other influences encroaching. His head ticked to the side before looking towards the sky. Well, um, thanks for your help. Cole's diminishing form solidified, looking towards Dave. Don't mention it, my boy. Just happy to help a lost soul gain some peace before it is never to be broken upon the madness of the universe. He smiled with a gaping maw, and for a second, his true form was visible, peeking out through his illusion. He sighed as Dave collapsed onto the floor without a sound. Didn't mean to do that. Might just have that skill for life now. Hope he didn't develop madness, though. Only one of us is supposed to be, after all. He began to chuckle, littering the surroundings with the sounds of broken glass and rain. And just like that, he disappeared from the diminishing church, leaving behind only two bite that had ever seen him, just how he'd liked. End of chapter. Chapter 47. Marshall knew that he was right. He didn't know exactly when the next disaster would strike Jellum, but he was pretty sure that the explosion from way back when was simply a precursor to this. Marshall, you got to stop being so mopey, Beckham complained. Marshall looked to his right, glaring at Beckham indignantly. Zeb was obviously tightly wound, coiled and ready to spring at something. Maybe anything. What about this doesn't scream huge disaster? He gestured over the ruined black market. It almost seemed poetic that the members of the underground ring had undone themselves in some mad experiment, but Marshall felt that the obvious answer was not the whole story. Well, the good news is that it didn't get into the city proper, right? At this, Marshall could only sigh. In his mind, he knew that she was right. The market had been a bit harder to find when he would have liked. It had taken several weeks of in-depth detective work, but thankfully... He was good at that stuff. The reason that nobody had found it so far was because it wasn't ever really in Jellum proper, or anywhere upon the mountain. It was hidden underground, quite literally under an abandoned farmhouse. When he had first entered the market space, everything had been as expected. Bide roamed the cabins, many using luminescent lichen for light, and transactions were happening. He had to buy something to sell the illusion of being a prospective customer. It wouldn't do to pass the guards with empty hands when he left. Most who came to the market left with something, after all. So he decided to buy something innocuous, maybe a little houseplant. It was still illegal, of course, but no one would really care about a houseplant. There were things here which were far worse. The stalls for houseplants had an abundance of bide-eating plants, as well as less dangerous flora. But Marshall decided to pick one that secreted a form of honey. Really, the only reason it was illegal was because of the community of farmer subtypes who had decided to hold a monopoly on the product. So he was at least felt a little better about doing something illegal. Once he made his purchase, he left the market with the plant and a bit of information about Hank's previous purchases from one of the information brokers. He felt that he had a bit better idea of who Hank was as a person. Then 
the unspeakable happened. The market collapsed. The seeding had fallen down. Some bits covered in stalactites impaled the people below, while other bits, if you could call hundreds of tons of rock bits, crushed a significant portion of the stools and the people in them. He had brought his new partner, Beckham, with him, after disguising her, of course. He was thinking that if he was going to get more information of a better quality, he'd have to expand his research. He had considered Grell as a possible accomplice in the escapade, but it didn't seem quite right to involve a temporary hire in this. I mean, uh, it is a bit better now that they're all gone, you're right. Nothing illegal being sold here anymore. But if I know these low limes well enough, they'll start somewhere else. Beckham nodded her head at the affirmation she received, as she tilted towards the edge of the entrance. The cave-in had seemed to cause a lot of shifting in the earth, as it had pulled a lot of the ground down several floors. She could barely make out some of the lichen littering the various crushed buildings and already starting to grow on some of the fresh corpses. I sincerely doubt many made it out of here alive. I can still smell a lot of fresh blood gushing. Beckham commented offhandedly. Marshall turned towards her, surprise. Fresh? Yes. My nose can clearly smell more fresh than stale, and it seems to be growing. Should we help these people? Marshall debated two things within his mind. He knew that Beckham had the beast affinity, but how good it was was up for a bit of debate. The second, once he considered that he should trust his new partner, was the fact that these people... Sure. Do you think that we can get down there safely? Beckham leaned over and studied the face of the cliff that they were atop of. Do you have a rope? Marshall searched his pack. He didn't have a lot in it, but he had managed to get an enchanted one to hold more than what it should have reasonably had. It wasn't anything like infantry, but it was handy when that skill was so hard to receive for his class. Within it, he sorted through his normal equipment, including a couple daggers, some sleeping powder, his badge, as well as a couple restraints. But not what he was looking for. Sorry, uh, didn't think to back a rope, uh, you got a better idea. Beckham continued to look at the rock face before slowly nodding. Yes, but you can't speak about this to anyone. Marshall only had time to crinkle his brow as he started to ask the question. But the speed at which Beckham grabbed him caught him by surprise. Claws sprouted from her fingertips, allowing her to cling to even the smallest crack as she practically leapt down the cliff, faced towards the ruins below. Marshall, dangling wildly by the cuff of his shirt. Then, at the bottom, just as fast as he had been swept off his feet, he was placed back on them and left staring at his partner. Her use of her affinity had altered her form a fair bit. Now, instead of an ev, she seemed to be some sort of third ogre. Her form had almost doubled in size, now towering over Marshall. You had better not tell anyone about this. Her voice had also changed, getting far deeper than Marshall had ever remembered her talking. My one eye, you'll find whichever form you wish to take inspiration from. She grinned revealing tusks which retracted as she slowly shrank back down to her normal size, slightly shorter than him, and her body reverted back to her normal appearance. Thanks. It's a bit embarrassing to show that kind of thing. Anyways, I think the fresher smells are coming from over there. She waved him towards the collapsed tunnel, and what looked like the ruins of a forge, 
as the lava stones still held a bit of magic within them, rather than dissipating it into the ambient air about them. There, bent under a piece of stone roof that had collapsed on top of it, lay a cobalt. Marshall searched his pack and found an emergency aid potion, which he uncorked and nearly shoved the entirety into the cobalt's jaw. The cobalt's wounds closed, but the potion could not replace the limbs that she had lost. Although it seemed that the cobalt might be familiar with that situation, as when he pulled the cobalt out while Beckham held back the rumble, Marshall noticed that one of the legs was already a healed stump, with some mangled machinery attached to it. The cobalt regained consciousness as they were removed from under the crashing weight and the pain receded. They coughed wetly and looked at the hands. Most of the fingers were fine, but one seemed mangled beyond relief. Even that started to reform itself, as the potion rapidly began reconstructing the bones that had broken in places that she did not even see. Thank you. Her voice seemed scratchy as well, the sound of which surprised both Marshall and Beckham. But it was getting much smoother as that whatever damage happened to her throat was also being healed. What happened here? Marshall's question obviously shook the cobalt as she stared all around. The destruction of a forge seemed to be the biggest blow, but he could see her adjusting as she realized what had happened to everyone outside of her forge. I, uh, I don't know, but uh, there was a big light away that way, I think. Hard to tell with all the ruined structures here. She pointed towards the rapid accumulation of glowing lichen, which lit up much of the cavern in that area. All right, will you be okay if we head over there real quick? Beckon's voice seemed to surprise the cobalt. Sorry, I thought it was only him. Yes, that should be fine. Got some spare parts I can fix my leg with. Might need a crutch for my other leg, though. I, um, I gotta warn you, though. That light, it came from someone. If they're still alive... Marshall nodded as he gestured towards Beckon to follow him. They left the cobalt behind as they passed over the rubble of stone, wood, and several bodies. They could tell that there were others buried below, but Beckon's heightened sense of smell and Marshall's enhanced vision. However, the knowledge didn't prepare them for what they saw when they approached the ruined building at their destination. The rubble had hands reaching up out of it, reaching towards the ceiling as if in supplication. None of them were moving anymore, though. After a brief look to confirm that there were no actual movement, they ignored it as best they could. Looking around, they soon realized what had caused the devastation. They'd been working with the assumption that someone had let loose a fireball of huge proportions, or something along those lines and it had seemed that there had been a blast of some sort. The lichen formed a ring around the center of the blast, but everything past the ring lay blasted and blank. It was an unnatural flatness of the destruction that threw them off until they realized that the floor was also covered with a thick layer of dust and ash. This, uh, this is the same stuff from earlier this month, isn't it? Beckon's question brought Marshall out of the funk that he'd found himself falling into, and he withdrew his hands from the dust that covered the floor of the cavern. Thoughts of the bide who had been consumed with greed and the magical device ran through his mind. The face of the previous partner flickered before his eyes. Both were quickly dismissed as she shrugged. It wasn't the time to wallow in pity. He was close, 
and he could no longer wait for his department to get off their asses. Yep, it's a repeat. Someone got a hold of it before we could find the supplier. Crap. End of chapter. Chapter 48 Kojo wandered the streets, avoiding the bite that roamed them. Every so often, a young one would reach out to touch him as he went through the streets. If they were fast enough to keep up with him at their age, Gojo didn't mind if they touched him. It was a way to witness greatness, after all. Not many can go through evolution. So, with a fresh smile on his face, he roamed the streets. He didn't know exactly why everyone was celebrating at the moment, but he did feel like he had something to do with it. No, he shook his head. He had a job. He couldn't stay still imagining crowds of people chanting his name, even if the image gratified some part of him. He had to find Dave. He rushed along the cobbled streets, being careful that his claws didn't tear it up, leaving piles of shards behind him. It wouldn't do to make the road tougher to travel. Music assailed his ears, the wind itself seeming to rise to a crescendo as the instruments and voices. This was the most important thing he had to do today, and he wasn't sure if he would be able to get Dave time. He weaved through around around various structures, hoping to find the scent of Dave. But it wasn't until he reached the fountain where he had sprouted that he was able to finally catch it. Following the scent, he turned his head and realized exactly where his friend was. The building that they had fought in front of before had drastically changed, or actually was still in the same process of changing. The very air seemed to shift between citrus and soap. He couldn't tell what the building was doing. It seemed to be both getting taller and deepening the ground around it. He couldn't even see the front door. Or perhaps it wasn't that he couldn't see it, but that there wasn't one anymore. The thought briefly went through his mind, but he shook it out as quick. The bide around him stared silently, although some were weeping, although whether in fear or joy it was hard for Kojo to tell. So, with a wiggle, he ran towards the gap and leaped. His claws found purchase and his roots began to dig into the building. He could only push himself so far before things went wrong though. He didn't have access to anything to let him grow further, but he pushed himself regardless. And that was when he found it. A crack within the foundation, or what seemed to be a tiny window for an ease. He managed to open it and then pulled the rest of himself along the path that his roots had traced. It was a bit of an issue for his larger parts, but it seemed that the window was somewhat accommodating. With a last glance back at the fountain square, towards the tall buildings and gaping individuals lining the streets down below, he entered. Pulling himself through the window took a lot out of him. He wasn't exactly slime-like with his body, so he more or less had to squeeze a lot of his mass through one route before arriving at the other side. Making himself presentable, was on the forefront of his mind, as he redistributed his weight throughout his body, finally settling himself back once again in the form which he'd grown comfortable using. Eventually, his eyes adjusted to the dimness, and he realized that, if the outside was chaotically changing, that was nothing compared to what was happening on the inside. In front of him, just inside of the windows, was an ease family, settled around a table with a tea set, 
Despite having entered through the stone foundation, the room around him was the inside of a fairly large tree. The E's didn't notice him at first, until one of them looked towards him, wiggled their ears, had squeaked. Kojo sighed and rushed through what appeared to be the family's dining room. He didn't have the time to pass the words out through the high-pitched voices, so he just moved through the rooms and downwards, where he assumed the main drunk would be and possibly more space. However, instead he found that the rooms however, instead he found that the rooms in the trunk were growing smaller and narrowed as he moved downward. Finally, he found another hole to the outside, which he leapt through. As he passed out of the tree, he found himself falling through the sky, until he landed softly in what seemed to be a cloud. He looked up, seeing the upside-down landscape above him, dotted with various trees and colored rocks. He brought his head back and down quickly, shaking it to rid himself of the brief rise of vertigo. As he finished shaking his head, his now lowered gaze lit upon the door in the cloud in front of him. It looked to be the same style that the entrance to the building had been before it disappeared, albeit a different color. He hesitantly approached, feeling slightly apprehensive towards what this meant. It was just a door. But if this experience in this building so far had proved anything, it was that things would probably be different again when he opened the store. So, with no small amount of trepidation, he moved his head towards it and slowly pulled the door towards him. As feared, the atmosphere around him changed from a crisp, clear morning air from before to something one would find in a study, which made sense as he saw that he was no longer on a cloud. But now, in such a rumor, Abide stood at a desk, writing at a breakneck pace. Kojo barked once to get his attention, and a thing's eyes met him. An instant feeling of awareness went through his body. This wasn't a bite. Sure, it was a bipedal, but it had an aura. This was a god. Ah, good to see you, Kojo. Take a seat. The thing's arm lost its fur and became a tentacle as it gestured towards what seemed to be a giant pillow. Suckers released puffs of smoke and wisps of something into the air. Kojo looked behind him, only to find the wall of wooden thorns. He would not be likely to escape whatever the scot had plans for. Okay. He slowly crept over towards the pillow and lay down upon it. It was decidedly comfortable, but there was something a bit off about its texture. It wasn't like the pillows he'd laid on in the inn. This was made of something different. You noticed. Hope you liked it. Got the idea while I was recently poking around in someone's mind. He called it a um, waterbed. Kojo nodded slowly before bringing his gaze off the floor back to the guard before him. They had changed once more while he wasn't looking, and now seemed to be almost too small to even hold the pencil that they were using to scribble. What are you doing? Kojo inquired. At this, the god's eyes looked up from the work before going back down. Its face was now devoid of a mouth. Trying to find someone with noble blood around here. Gotta change church hands somehow. The voice seemed to come from the point behind Kojo's left ear. But when he looked, he could find no one there. Why... Your friend, the human, didn't like it that he calls the church to change form, so I'm trying to find a scapegoat for another god to be mad at. 
Gojo looked slightly confused as he noticed that voice was coming from the bookshelves. Why would they be mad? The thing almost chuckled, but it would be a compliment to call what Kojo heard a chuckle. It almost reminded him of the beast that he and Dave had fought within the cult era. I am not technically supposed to have any high religious affairs in this area. Plus, once I get rid of my influence, the building will stop changing, but it won't go back to what it was before. It's why I'm also trying to redesign it all on purpose, so people don't become ensnared forever within the folds. It seemed to grow to an all-encompassing size. Before, its face flipped open like a window, showing a blueprint of the building and its current changes. Can you get me to him? It's important. The thing's window slammed shut and teeth and glass began to form making a smile as glasses replaced his frame eyes. You mean your friend? Kojo nodded once before trying to get the image of the thing's mouth dipping with syrup out of his mind. It scared him more than if it had been blood. Sure, give me a second. Uh, hard to multitask right now. The thing's forehead shifted a little bit as the door took shape. He plucked it off with a pincer as he threw it at the bookshelf. When it struck, it enlarged to encompass the entirety of the bookshelf. Go through there, and you'll see him along with a fair number of others. Any bite I found, I put them in there. By the way, thanks. Kojo almost seemed startled at the praise. For what? Bringing him here, I would have been ashamed if the little bundle of chaos had died within the monster-infested hole. Ed nodded towards him as he finished writing whatever script he had authored and whisked it away into the air. I would go through there soon if I were you. I'm about to enact the changes I've been talking about. And once that happens, no magical doorways like that. It became covered in cloth as black as night as the script floated upon the air. Kojo nodded once before getting off the waterbed and walked over to the carpet towards the door. It didn't really seem as magical as the god had described, but he assumed that it was. It was grown from skin after all. So, taking a breath, he grasped the handle with his teeth and pushed. Instantly, wind whipped around him, and everything seemed to fade, before something else took its place. Then, he suddenly was within the completely white room. There was some furniture with some bites sitting on it, as well as a door leading out of the area. But he immediately noticed the scent of his friend. Getting off the floor he'd been thrown upon, Kojo followed the scent to find Dave, trembling upon a couch, muttering to himself, Dave! The sound of Kojo's voice made whatever funk that he was in disappear. Dave stood up quickly, give a little shakenly from his prone position, a smile on his face as he saw his friend before him. Kojo, how did you get here? The wooden wolf shook its head, dismissing the question. There is no time for that now. I need you to come with me back to the inn. Dave looked incredulously back. Did you not see what's happening out there? Yeah, don't worry. It's fine now. We just need to go. Now. Dave looked past Kojo towards the door before nodding to himself. All right, let's go. He picked up Kojo and sped through the door. His ability almost tore the door off its hinges. 
but had managed to halt as Dave raced through the church. The hallways had stabilized a fair bit since Dave was last through here, as most of it was replaced with marble, obsidian, or a mixture of both. Why'd you come and get me anyway? What's so important? Kojo shut his mouth to get rid of his slack jaw from the wind and looked upwards towards Dave. Marvel was taken. End of chapter. Chapter 49. Carmia was having a bit of trouble in her line of work. Shut it! She smacked the side of the bag, and it stopped rustling. She sighed as she gazed over at the stretch of the road. It was one thing to spy on someone, but it was another to kidnap a bide. Once she reached the capital, she was going to have words with her employer. Now, I know you hid your carriage somewhere around here. Given that I've not got one, I've got to adapt to the circumstances. She activated her Ostendera magic and started sifting through all the alleyways. Knowing a target, she probably would have set her target to the runic traces rather than actual carriage. So accordingly, she narrowed her focus to that trace that started scanning the buildings and street around her. Although there were a few faint signs of runic activity below her, she already knew that the underground contained a lot of small magical trinkets to enhance or hide the Lord's proclivities, so she discounted those. As she moved her gaze upwards and around, she got more tiny hits scattered throughout the city. Probably magical trinkets or equipment imbued with a runic enhancement. Sighing, she widened her gaze again, but finally she found more substantial signatures. Of course, one of the runic signatures was in the bag that she was dragging along with her. However, she knew that, regardless of what items he might have on him, he would be unable to activate anything in there, since the bag was enchanted to negate the effects of magical items. A second was radiating from back at the tavern that she had just left. That confused her for a second, until she remembered that the innkeeper mentioned that some sort of extensive work was done since last winter. He must have hired someone to imbue power into the kitchen, on the stables, or something. Regardless, that wasn't her target, so she put it out of her mind and focused on the third signature. That was it, hiding in a literal gutter. She deactivated her sight and made her way around the buildings between her and the target. That, of course, was the biggest downside to Ostendera's sight. It displayed what she was searching for, but removed every other physical object that had been a match for designation from her vision. She had frequently walked into stools, tables, and other clutter. She might actually walk into a wall because she couldn't see it. So, she turned off the ability hoisted her bag over her shoulder and moved towards the location her sight had revealed. Thankfully, the streets were too busy for anyone to actually notice that she was carrying a squirming bag. Had she counted that amongst the small miracle that had happened today? She rounded a corner, leaving behind the bustle of the main street, as well as a few cartwheeling entertainers that had set up shop and entered a rather dingy alley that no one seemed to be in while the festivities were taking place. Of course, the alleyway was empty. Well, so it appeared to the naked eye. However, thanks to her sight, she knew that something was there, even if she couldn't see it now. Huffing a little, she dropped the bag off to the side and reached into a belt pouch, withdrawing a small pinch of powdered chalk. You've hidden your carriage well, hmm? 
Well, don't worry. These runes, while really effective for their purpose, usually have one fatal flaw. She threw the chalk into the air where it stuck, causing an outline of the entire carriage to shimmer. It can't handle Zarnik chalk physically touching the object when Q wait. What is that? Kamiya's air of self-assurance took a hit as the actual carriage was revealed. Although it's not a sight that would normally cause distress, it most certainly was not what she was expecting. Its color showed it to be well-maintained and the wheels were solid. It was, however, meant to be pulled by something, and the beast that would pull it was not present. This isn't a self-mobile carriage. I thought since my employer said you were here. This isn't going to work out. Crap. Wait. This post pulled by something. Where's your beast? She grabbed the bag and roughly dumped out its contents. At this point, she couldn't care less about anything magical happening while he was out of the bag. After all, how was he even going to be able to cast a spell if he didn't have any medium to do it through? It's not like he had his hands free to use the runes that he had on them. Now, of course, Marwal couldn't exactly say anything. His hands were quite literally tied. He also wasn't really paying attention to what the woman was saying, as his thoughts were on his options. He had no way of contacting anyone. Kojo already saw what happened and apparently had not been able to stop the woman, so she must have some measure of power. The only other guy in the room had been unconscious at the time, so he only had one thing left that he could rely on. He tightened his throat as hard as he could, as if to scream and called. Now, calling in general considered a basic requirement when it comes to beast taming. Certainly necessary when one plans to tame any large beast. However, a normal way of calling a beast is to actually verbally call them. Usually the beast's name is discovered through divination magic, or given at the time. If the beast did not have a name already. However, of course, Marwal could not do that, nor did he. Instead, to call his well run... He whistled. It was a fast and sharp sound that resonated within the shell of his Bichel Rolhan specifically. It also had an added benefit of piercing through the air briefly, disorienting Kamiya, whose face lay directly in front of his. She shook her head quickly, looking back down towards the short bast in front of her. Right, she muttered to herself. He's uh, mute. How the hell am I going to get the info from the sky? Can't exactly untie his... At that moment was exactly when Rol Han had busted straight through the wall and crashed directly into Kamiya and Marble both. It was perhaps the most annoying thing to have happened in his life since his stable days. Of course, he was a little upset about the call, but what could he do? It's not like he could exactly ignore that kind of thing. He'd found a nice patch of grass to munch on, but he could just find it later on. Right now, the call was made up of danger sounds, and would most likely have to protect his owner after all. And when he rolled down the street, bowling people over his frame, he managed to roll where his feelings told him danger was. Sure, he had to go through a couple buildings, but that was fine. It was danger call, and he was sure most of the bite would understand. However, he was kind of upset at what the danger was. It was just another bite, a big monster threatening to eat his tiny driver... Then again, it made the whole situation a bit easier, as he could just roll them over, no problem. Sure, it might have not worked in a prepared bide, but this one was surprised. 
and when one's surprised, one would have hardly any time to focus on their personal offense. So, with that in mind, he simply rolled over the tallest bite he saw, squishing them underneath his shell. It all went according to plan, except for one distinct issue. The bite somehow caught him, causing him to immediately halt his movements and begin to slow his rolling. This, he thought, was not good. Ah, you called him. Excellent. Now we just have to hook him up and leave. With that pleased comment, holding on to Roll Run with one hand, as it still rolled shells screeched on the cobblestones, she retied Marwald into the back and threw him onto the now visible carriage. With that done, she turned towards the still rolling Bichelde and simply stared hard into the center of its mass. Now then, are you going to be a good boy, or am I going to have to neuter? With that threat, she released the aura of fear, as well as an aura of compliance. Two skills that she had absolutely pushed to the limits of a class. For a beast that had no natural mental resistance, Rolran utterly failed at resisting and stopping trying to roll. Rolran's perception of the taller biped through his slotted shell triggered a feeling that he hadn't felt since childhood. One which he remembered wanting to avoid. A mother's wrath. With trepidation, Rolran uncurled from his shell and moved to the harness with a quiet grumble. His body seemed to be almost working on autopilot as he strapped himself into the harness and started walking forward, holding the garage behind him. Perfect. Now we just steer him where we need to go. It'll probably only be a couple days on the road. She jumped onto the moving cart and took a hold of the reins with a practiced ease. Her skin shivered and twitched as the scales which had covered her body fell off in waves, scattered to the ground in the alley. Her face shifted towards a less angular one, becoming more rounded, as the muzzle left her face replacing it with a view of a wizened Eve, with more mortal-type affinity. A few sounds were reduced by her throat as the new cadence was reached and her voice held much the same creak as a new appearance expected from it. The revealed Pagona chuckled as her racial power deactivated, leaving her with her current appearance. She now sauntered out of the alleyway, slowly pushing through the crowds, heading towards the north entrance. People got out of the way for her carriage as they all seemed to gather themselves. It seemed that the impromptu festivity was over, and now began the times for cleaner. She chuckled as she gazed out over the various races drunk off their feet trying to pick up the confetti on the ground and take down some of the streamers. The children had stopped running around like windstorms, and most of them had fallen asleep on their siblings or parents. Her carriage managed to be fairly quiet, even with the shuffling of the bag in the back. She must have been fairly lucky that there was some modicum of sound enchantment at work in the carriage. Ha! <laughs> Everything's coming together for Kamiya Kachka. End of chapter. Chapter 50 The first thing that Credence noticed when he woke up was that it is splitting headache. The second thing was that no one was around, not even the tamed plant beast. It was all fairly strange to him that no one was around while he was recovering. That was when he noticed the third thing. The room had been absolutely trashed while he was asleep. The cabinets had been knocked over, several dresses had been content spilled out into the room, with clothes spilling out onto the floor, and finally, to finish it all off, the table had been flipped on its side. Something had obviously happened, but he couldn't exactly tell what it was. 
At least, it only noticed the message from the voice of the guards. You are in danger of violating a contract you have undertaken with a guard, Onda. To no longer be in danger, make sure to stick within the sightline of champion Kojo for the next few hours. Well, uh, that's not good. He tried getting up, but his back was kidding him. Whatever Faldor had done to him, because who else would have done so, seemed to still be agitating him. He looked down upon the covers covering his form and noticed a lot of sand was currently spilling out of his mouth and nose onto the covers. Explains why I'm so thirsty. He started getting up, being careful of his injuries. He didn't have to worry long, though, as once he got to his feet, he could finally realize why his back was in pain. His tail was scrunched up while he was sleeping. He readjusted it before searching the room for his stuff. From what he remembered, he put it inside the closet. A cursory glance revealed that near the top of the shelf, his stuff lay untouched. He could only thank whatever was watching over him, probably Onda, that his tinkering supplies hadn't been messed with. The only unfortunate thing about the current state of them being that most of his creations had long since fallen apart. His gloves being one of the things they had carried fastest getting over here, but it was fine. He could always just build more. He grabbed his satchel and slowly started wincing as he neared the exit to the room, meeting a hallway filled with similar doors. He was still in the inn, it seemed. For some reason, whoever trashed the room hadn't exactly cared about him being in there. Probably cast sleep or did something like that to stop whatever was going on. He managed to pass the various candlebars, lining the walls, and finally reached the stairway. There, he made sure to grab the railing and slowly descended. It wouldn't behoove him to suddenly fall due to a weird pain that hadn't subsided. As he headed down, he noticed that there were a fair few number of people than when he remembered. He turned his head towards the bar to find the remaining few patrons, some of which were heavily imbibed. However, they were not who he was looking for. And the keeper let anyone come up these stairs recently. The tall bast stopped polishing his dishes in the sink behind the counter, turning back towards the front. A fair few came down recently. Didn't you get the alert? A puzzled expression appeared upon Credence's face as he considered what could possibly be worth an alert. No, I'm a traveler, so I don't get the city notices. The bast nodded slightly before returning some words. The Lord's apparently dead. A lot of people woke up and just decided today should be a festival day. A lot of people are outside partying now. You could join them if you want. Leave me the drunkards. He chuckled a bit before pointing backwards. My wife also left a little while ago to join in. So if you want food, can't say that I can give you anything decently prepared. No, oh, um, someone had come into my room and made a mess of it. An eyebrow rose slightly. Did this happen last night, or was it a recent occurrence? Happened fairly recently. I'd say within the last hour or two, since I was just taken in for a short nap. Well, uh, I think I know what happened. He stopped washing dishes, put them down, and exited the bar. He reached into his pants pocket and pulled out a piece of paper. This uh, should be her name, unless of course it changed while I wasn't looking. Credence reached out and took the paper from him unfurling to find a single name, Carmen Diem. Do you know what type of bide she is? 
One of you folk, I'd imagine, and there she's got a skin condition. Credence nodded. Thank you. And here. At this, he grabbed some gold from his sack and passed it along. We won't be using the room anymore. Nothing of value is really kept there, and you can keep whatever you find inside. The money is basically for the help in a tub. I imagine that whoever cleans the rooms isn't going to be all too happy about it. He chuckles a bit before turning around to head towards the door. The boss face stared down at the five gold coins in his hand and almost seemed to freeze for a moment before realizing something and bringing his head up to the leaving cobalt. Thanks, I appreciate it. If you're ever back in the area, just give me a holler. I'll make sure to give you a free one night stay. Credence grinned a little bit as he went outside. And finally, the barkeep's words seemed to settle inside of him. Faldor was dead. His one mistake in his life was finally taken care of. He finally relaxed his shoulders. With the sand all over him and through him, he had imagined he had somehow survived. But if an alert happened, there wasn't any mistaking it. His preparations finally causing something to happen. He gazed out over the streets and the diminishing light of the sun to behold the fluttering of flying lanterns, the conversations of millions of people, the apparent various musicians playing in symphony, despite being far apart, and the many stalls that had opened up along the sides of the street. Credence looked towards the sky, basking in the glow of laughter and cheering, and for the first time since that dreadful day, his thoughts were no longer about repentance. They were empty and only focused on the sensation of now. Then he smiled. The speeding couldn't last forever, though. The peaceful atmosphere, much like other things, could only last so long. The next day, the festival would end and the people would go back to the jobs that they had. However, before that eventual end of the festivities, there came a more abrupt one. That being the fact that there was someone going fast enough to cause a lot of people to get unsteady. Gredon squinted as he saw the wind rush in response. The thing itself didn't seem to bother the people on the streets, as it chose to do something that most people wouldn't think to do, and ran on the buildings themselves. It was only when it got close enough that Gredon's make out the shape of the thing through the blur. It appeared to be mostly a white thing with hints of wood trailing off of it. Then Credence noticed it had stopped going parallel across the buildings and instead seemed to be heading straight towards him. He began to panic as his legs shook. He wasn't very fast individual and he had nothing on him to support or cause him to get great speeds. That wasn't exactly within the purview of his. However, he noticed something in his panic. His contract was no longer in danger of breaking and it seemed that a mandated signal on his head pointing towards Kojo had vanished. As the thing came to a screeching halt in front of him, he realized why. It was just Dave and Kojo. You gave me a frightful scare right then. You could have run straight through me. Dave's mouth closed as he was interrupted. I mean, I wake up and basically everyone's gone and the whole damn room is a mess. I understand that I'm not exactly important. But you could have left a note, yeah? Dave sighed as he just shook his head. In his silence, Kojo took up what he was probably going to say. There is no time, Credence. Marvel has been kidnapped. His ridges rose up as he considered the paper in his coat pocket. Might be this person, since the mess wasn't your fault. 
I also got some info from the bartender. He brought the paper up to his face and quickly read out its contents. It seems we're looking for a cobalt woman named Carmen Diem. At this, Dave's face gained a look of confusion. Not Carmia. Redden shrugged his shoulders. Could be a fake name for all I know if it was a kidnapping. Is there any reason that he would be kidnapped? Dave considered something for a moment before reaching forward and cupping his hand over Credence's ears. He's a noble, so maybe money? Credence looked somewhat surprised. Damn, well, I doubt we'll be able to find him easily. We'll probably need to get some help. With that, Credence strode through the streets, going past several bites enjoying themselves. What are you talking about? You know some nobles around here. Dave's question was a good one, which Credence responded to. No, not around here. But if it's the capital, they might care a bit more to send out a squad to help search. Kojo nodded once before walking alongside Credence, tugging Dave with him, making sure that he was following. He nodded before turning back towards the lizard man. Which way's the capital then? At this, Credence gave a simple reply. North! And a bit of a ways away, so we might need another invention of mine. Dave's eyes peaked with interest as he considered the lizard. Why don't we just take Marwell's carriage? The bull rhino guy's pretty fast for a steed. Bull rhino, uh, you mean a besheld? Credence considered his invention versus the besheld and quickly came to decision. Well, if you have a carriage, I'd suggest bringing it with. If it's as fast as you state, where is it? Dave gestured towards the faraway alley. It's in there. You can tell by how the can is knocked over. Credence nodded, following his newfound acquaintances. The sounds of the festival started to fade away as they further entered the alleyway. So, uh, where is it? Just seems like a regular dead end to me. Dave grinned before he gestured out. That's the beauty of it. Marwell managed to enchant it or something to be invisible. Meant to hide all the goods that he was going to sell, I think. Credence considered the statement before turning back towards the alley. I don't think you understand what I'm saying. I can't see it. At this point, he tapped the side of his head. I got somewhat magical eyes, remember? Dave's smile slowly fell away from his face as he turned towards the empty space. Well, um, how likely is the thief or robbery or something? Credence shook his head. Not very. Thieves with magic eyes are about as uncommon as living stone. Even fewer who could detect such things and look for them. In all likelihood, I imagine that our little kidnapper took the information from our merchant friend, since there is no longer a centralized person that we can ask to help in this circumstance. I'd imagined that we'd have to figure out which way they went. But thankfully, there are only four checkpoints to check. Silence descended upon the alleyway, more than what happened before, except the vague sounds of merriment coming from the outside of it. The silence was broken by Kojo, who seemed to encompass what they were all feeling very succinctly. Fuck. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment, just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one. And until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.